Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see everyone tonight and good to share in the service together that, uh, as we have remembered the Lord, it's been very uh, special each time we do that, just to know that He has done so much for us, and in this very simple way, we remember Him. We turn now to uh, an Old Testament uh, story found in the book of Second Samuel. And it's a story with uh, much intrigue, lots of twists and turns. It, it covers really three or four chapters, so I hope you will read it when you go home if you're not particularly familiar with it. But a story that has spies and murder and all sorts of things happening in it. A story that belongs to a, something that happened 3,000 years ago. And yet, the amazing thing is that it's in the Word of God. And through that, we know that God has a purpose through this story to say something to us tonight and to speak to our hearts. And that is our prayer, that through His Word, He would draw us all closer to Himself. The story is about a very sad time in David's life when he was opposed by his own son, and he had to run away. So our title, The King Who Ran Away. Uh, I want to fill out a little bit of the story to start with, just in case you're not familiar with it. I would like to introduce you to six of the main characters. There are more, but you can discover that yourself if you read through it. Here are some of the characters we meet in this story. Absalom. Absalom was the king's son. He had already murdered one of his brothers. It had a time when he had been expelled from the country. And there were times David just did not know what to do with him. And he also plagued his uh, relative Joab uh, occasionally as well. So Absalom is the one, the main character in this story because he wants to destroy his father and become king in his place. Another important character in the story is Ahithophel. Ahithophel was a very famous counselor. This man was so wise and so good that a rumor had gone round that if you asked God for something and you didn't get an answer, you could ask Ahithophel, you'd probably get the same answer. He was so good. And yet, he's rebelling against his friend. King David, he's often referred to as the Judas of the Old Testament because like Judas, he turned against the one who had been his confidant, the one who had promoted him, the one who had been close to him all his life. So Ahithophel is a strange character that you will find in, sometimes in the footnote of your Bible or in the commentaries, you will read that he was Bathsheba's grand father, and that that perhaps was the reason for it. The, the reason why uh, everyone is so confident that he was Bathsheba's grandfather is that it gives them a reason for his rebellion. And also, he had a son whose name was the same as the name of Bathsheba's father. So, his, if his son was the same person as Bathsheba's father, then he was her grandfather. But actually, 
the name is Eliam, E-L-I-A-M, but it was a common enough name. So I would, if you read that in the comment, take it with a pinch of salt. We can't be sure that that was his reason. I think we will see another reason for his rebellion tonight, much more convincing, because if he'd been Bathsheba's grandfather, what he was doing was putting her in mortal danger, and Solomon would not have survived very long if Absalom had become king. So, don't read everything. Don't believe everything you read in the commentaries. I, I, I would put a question mark on that one. Anyway, to move quickly on, uh, Shimei cursed David. He's an interesting character. When David came back from uh, his uh, exile from Jerusalem, Shimei was the first person to meet him and apologize. And Shimei apologized so profusely that it put David on a difficult spot. And David said, don't you worry, I'll not kill you. And neither he did, but he told Solomon to do it instead. So uh, there was a bit of political intrigue there in the background that uh, is surprising. David knew his son was a murderer, but in a sense, he was in a difficult situation morally because he too had committed murder. And this is a difficult story for King David. Joab was his general, the commander of his army, and a, a very ruthless person, not someone you wanted to fall out with. Those that did usually didn't survive too long. Joab was ruthless. And finally, Hushai was a court official, somebody who loved David and someone whom David trusted, not regarded as good an advisor as Ahithophel, but a really faithful servant. And he goes back after David leaves Jerusalem, he becomes a spy on David's side, but apparently loyal, changing his loyalties. So that is the cast, if you like, of the story. And now we get on with it. Absalom's rebellion. Absalom's priority is mentioned in verse 2 of the passage that Ruth read to us. It says he rose up early. That is a phrase that you find often in the Bible of people who are said to rise early. You get it with Abraham. When Abraham was commanded to go and sacrifice his son, it says he rose early. It, it was an expression that he was totally determined to do what God had called him to do. It was nothing to do with he couldn't sleep. It was rather he rose early was a sense of what was his priority. You, you read this also about Moses when he was called to go up Sinai. He was determined to do what God had called him to do. He rose early is an expression of that. Joshua rose early again to do the will of God. So did Samuel. So did David himself. The day that he was going to fight Goliath, it says he rose early to take the provisions to his brothers that his father had given him. And we're just past the Easter period, and of course, we read that on the first day of the week, very early, the women came to the tomb they couldn't, they couldn't wait. 
it was a sign of what mattered most to them. And in this story, you get Absalom rising early, not to do the will of God, but it tells you that he rose early to let you know what his priority was. He rose early to promote himself. It was a bid for uh, popularity, and it was an expression of his energy to promote himself. He made promises he did never intend to keep. He would see people who had come a long distance to Jerusalem, uh, and to get their complaint heard, they would have to join a very long queue in order to see King David. So Absalom listens to their complaints. He says, where did you come from? That's a long distance. How long did it take you to get here? I say, that was a long way to come. And what's your problem? Wow, do you know? You've, you've got the best case I've ever heard. That just sounds as if there's, you know, you deserve justice. It's just a pity that I'm not the king. Or I could do it for you. And so, you see how cleverly He was winning the people over one by one, and Absalom was a patient person. He did it for a couple of years, gradually turning people away from King David. That showed his priority, what he did first thing in the morning. Rising early was an expression of what he believed in, and that was to promote himself. Can we just stop for a second there and apply that to ourselves? When the Bible talks about rising early, it means what is the most important thing to that person? It's worth asking ourselves, what is the first thing that comes into our heads? First thing in the morning. You don't need to tell me. It can sometimes uh, be problems that we have, or whatever. There's a Jewish tradition that when you awaken, the first thing you, the very first thing you do when you open your eyes is you say a little Hebrew prayer. And that prayer, to cut a long story short, thanks God for giving you a new day, and expresses the, f- the feeling that uh, He has given you a new day to live in his presence. So the, the prayer ends with Rabah Emunatecha. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Great is your faithfulness. Isn't that worth thinking about? That the first thing you do when you awaken is. I don't suggest you have to learn the Hebrew. If, if you want it, I can give it to you, but I, I wouldn't suggest you learn that. I would suggest we, you, we could do the same thing in English. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a new day. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. That would do, wouldn't it? That would somehow give us a new start to the day. That's what it means in the Bible when people rise early. It means that is what their priority is. May God be our priority as we awaken up first thing and let our minds be filled with Him instead of the problems we might face. So, He got up early. He turned people against David. He asked permission to go to Hebron. Hebron is where the kings of Judah were crowned. 
Hebron was where David had been crowned. Hebron was where Absalom had been born. And there he hath himself proclaimed king of Israel. And now we have the bit where the king had to run away. He went over the brook Kidron, and he went up the Mount of Olives and away. You see, that, that was the escape route from Jerusalem, over the brook Kidron and up the Mount of Olives. You could easily get away. And 2,000, uh, 1,000 years later, someone else made the same journey over the brook and up the mountain. And uh, people expected him to run away because they came searching for him with lights and swords. But our Lord had no intention of running away. As Steve mentioned uh, at the uh, communion, uh, he was the king who didn't run away. He was, in, he was in the right position if he'd wanted to escape. There was no better place to be. He, was, he took the same route as King David. King David took that route up the Mount of Olives to escape, to run away. Jesus took that route to hand himself over. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He's the king who didn't run away. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we can know his life within us, because he accepted the death of the cross of Calvary so that he could pay the price that I deserved. He could pay for the wrong things that I have done. And through his glorious resurrection, he's alive tonight. He's with us here in Great Victoria Street. He's the living one. The resurrection has, has changed everything. We are alive in him, and he is here with us tonight. He is the king who didn't run away. He accepted, as we saw in the Passover, he drank the cup of the wrath of God for you and for me. And tonight, he's here with us. And we don't need to run away from him because he has embraced us by his love. But David said to his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee. David became the king who had to run away. He's the man who killed Goliath. You're not a bit surprised that he's having to run. What had happened? Why, what's the problem? How come? Well, he just was not expecting this attack. It was a surprise attack. That's what he wasn't prepared for it. He didn't expect it. Surprise attacks can be very good, very effective. If you take someone by surprise, they don't know that it's coming. That's the best picture I could get. I think the fox in front is about to get a shock as the one behind launches a surprise attack. And that's what happened to King David, a surprise attack. Um, does this ap apply to us? Have we a lesson to learn here at this stage? Because David didn't expect an attack. But as Christians, we are warned through the Scriptures 
to expect an attack. If one of those fiery darts of doubt from the enemy come our way, we shouldn't be surprised. We should be surprised if the fiery darts of doubt don't come our way. Because there's an enemy who's always ready to launch an attack. And Paul says, don't be taken by surprise, as King David did. He says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to run, having done all, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given, for the gospel, given by the gospel of peace. Stay alert, the Bible tells us. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all those flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert. So there, there, there's great message for the Christian soldier. We are in a war. We can expect Satan to send us doubts. He, we can expect him to give us hard times. And if we have got into some sort of a rut, we'll not be able to cope. Remember what uh, Steve was praying earlier. It's possible to get into a time when you no longer uh, have those daily devotions, when you get out of the habit of praying to God, of living close to Him, of studying. And when you get out of that habit of living close to Him, boy, it just gives the enemy a great chance to get you. It's a, a surprise attack. And surprise attacks are always the most effective. So God calls us not just, uh, you know, that there was a kind of easy gospel thing went around when, when I was a, a young fellow. It was a kind of, all you need to do tonight is to put your hand up and put your faith in Jesus Christ and all your problems will be over. I found all my problems were just beginning. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, there, we, we face an enemy. It's not just a matter of getting a ticket to heaven. And, and I'm afraid that some of the preaching that I heard when I was young sounded very much like that. But it's more you're joining an army, an army of God's people. Together we're going forward until that day when Jesus comes again and calls us to himself he has already won the victory at the cross of Calvary. We're not fighting for the victory. We're fighting in the victory. Praise God, we are His. We are His, and if we live close to Him, He will protect us by the shield of faith and by the sword of the Spirit. He'll protect us from all those evil intentions of Satan. So, don't be taken by surprise like King David, keep alert. Shall we continue with the story? Ahithophel. Ahithophel was, uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the Word of God. 
So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and Absalom. But Ahithophel, perhaps not the the problem that his granddaughter had been badly treated by David, but rather Ahithophel seems to have had special ambition for himself. Here is the advice that he gave to Absalom after David had gone. Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me, let me, you got that? Let me choose 12,000 men and I, you notice that? I will arise and pursue David tonight and I will come upon him when he is weary and, and discouraged and throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king. There's too many eyes and me's there to believe that he's worried about anybody else but himself. This is a man who's ambitious. He wants to have authority. He probably wants to be the king. Ahithophel has ambition. Like the, oh, he's the, like the Judas in the New Testament, he fails in his mission and eventually hangs himself. His counsel, of course, you'd have to admit that that advice, was it good? Yes, it was very good. Attack tonight. Get David before he can organize. So Hushai, Hushai, David's friend, now a spy, uh, is now asked for his advice. And David has given him this advice. He says, whatever, whatever Ahithophel says, you say the opposite. That will do. So Hushai says, my counsel is different than Ahithophel. Ahithophel is usually pretty good, but I don't think it's so good. He says, my counsel is that all Israel be gathered together to you, Absalom, from Dan to Beersheba, as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. <laughs> that, ap- that appealed to a proud person, you see. Don't let Ahithophel get to the head of the army. You do it yourself. Dress the best robes you can find. Get the biggest army. Absalom, take the glory for yourself. And it worked by the providence of God, because God was in it all. You see, at times when you think that human beings are making decisions, you have to remember that God is the one who's really in control. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. Why did they say that? Because the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. The Lord had a plan for King David's dynasty. And not Absalom, not Ahithophel, not all the armies of the world can frustrate God's plan. And so, from Genesis to Revelation, God is working his purposes out. The Old Testament is just taking you forward to Jesus all the time, taking you forward to what he will do, taking you forward to his great kingdom, taking you forward to the time when we will all meet with him, taking you on a journey of salvation. The Old Testament is just a book of ever-increasing anticipation. It's always going somewhere. And 
the story that Absalom, the, 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 the story Absalom wanted to create was not God's will. And so God frustrated his plan. And, you know, we as human beings make many mistakes. But remember tonight, be encouraged. We, weak as we are, insignificant we might feel, but we're part of the greatest plan that was ever made. We're part of the plan of God for his church. We are members of the, of the royalty, of, of the royal family, of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going somewhere with him. He is taking us to be with himself. We are, this night, part of something big. There's nobody else in Belfast, or believe it, mind you, people out there that are planning protest, they'll, they'll not believe it. But Jesus tells us so, and he's the one that we can trust. He says that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he'll be with us through the hard times. And we have those great verses that uh, we're often reminded of. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Isn't that encouraging tonight? Whatever sometimes you might feel insignificant or unimportant. Don't forget that that's not how God looks at you. Every single one of us, every day, we are His children. And the part that you play is important to God. So don't play it down yourself. Don't say you're not important. Don't say you're insignificant. You're His. And your part must not be left out, no matter how insignificant you think it is. We are all part, and we're all important parts of his plan. Okay, let me keep moving. Next part of the story. As the, as the battle rages, Joab tells King David, do not you come to the battle. David is dying to go to the battle. Joab says, no, leave it with me. You can trust me. I'm the general. You leave it all with me. I'll look after things. And as they go, David says to Joab, in fact, he ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. He still loved him, totally undeserved, but he still loved him. And Joab and the others, off they went with those words ringing in their ears. And did Joab listen to it? Not a bit of it. He eventually found Absalom hanging in a tree, and Joab took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. He executed him, if you like. Joab believed in justice. He'd had enough of Absalom. And so he believed that Absalom deserved to die. This was disobedient to King David. It was ruthless. And finally, it was justice without mercy. There was no mercy with Joab. When King David heard the news that his son had been killed, while other people were rejoicing, you see, it was his son 
And this is what King David felt. We're told the most intimate detail here of how he felt when he heard Absalom was killed. The king was... This, by the way, is one of the saddest verses in Scripture, I think. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate, and he couldn't even wait. As he went, he wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son. Can you hear it? My son. His heart is breaking. Absalom didn't deserve love like that. Just as we don't deserve the love of God, Absalom didn't deserve a father to love him like that. You got a confrontation. Can you see the confrontation here between Joab and David? They're coming at it from different angles. David never stopped loving Absalom. Joab just wanted cold justice. David's love for an undeserving son reminds us that we never deserved the love of God either. It's, you know, it's a, a fairly obvious application. I'm sure you can saw it coming a mile off that we too, we were, while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. My sins nailed him there. I was his enemy. I, my sins were the cause of his death. And yet, he loves me just the same. It was a love that was truly undeserved. Not one of us ever deserved the love of God. So David's love for an undeserving son points us to the love of God for us. Because God, too, is a God of justice. Sin must be punished. But God is also a God of love. So he brings these two things together. The love that David showed and the justice that Joab wanted, they meet. Where do they meet? They meet at the cross. God's love and justice are brought together at the cross, where God's justice was satisfied by the sacrifice of the Lamb of God for you and for me, by the one who said, it is finished, and died on the cross on that cross, you see both love and justice. Absalom's name means father of peace. He did not live up to being a father of peace. Jesus' name means savior. And he lived up to that name as he died to be our savior. And he died to give us the peace of God, the sort of peace that the world does not give. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let it be afraid. 
what sort of peace does the world give? Well, usually when you see pictures on the television of peacemakers, they're all carrying guns. They're driving tanks. That's the peace in the world sense. But Jesus gives us that true peace and contentment that even though things may be a bit anxious in your life at the minute and there may be things ahead that are a bit worrying, Jesus is the one who can give you peace in the midst of the storm. And that is uh, what uh, we read in our, what we will be singing in a moment in our last hymn. Even though life can sometimes take us through stormy periods and uh, things can be difficult, we can worry uh, about what's happening in the future. If we know the Savior whom we've been speaking about tonight, we can sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the great love that you have for each one of us. We thank you for the way that you found to find a way for us to be saved through love and justice meeting at the cross. And tonight as we leave, help us to be those who will be alert and expect the uh, fiery darts of the enemy and be well prepared by living even. Help us to dedicate ourselves this evening to live closer to you to keep our prayer times alive, to keep our devotions alive, and to stay close to you every day because you are the one who can protect us and keep us close and help us to know it is well with my soul. Amen. Okay, when... Uh, musicians get going. We're going to sing together, It Is Well With My Soul.
you feel a wee bit downhearted or a little bit worried, just remember to thank God that it's well with your soul. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. Help us to leave tonight with a new spring in our step, a new sense of joy of our salvation that we're going to be with you forevermore. And tonight, we thank you for the peace that it brings to know it is well with our souls. So now may grace, mercy, and peace from the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be the abiding portion of every one of us this night until Jesus comes or calls, and then by his grace throughout the great eternity.